Hello and welcome to the Brand New Think podcast, brought to you by Scottish Enterprise. Ahead of the UN Climate Change Summit COP26 in Glasgow this November, we'll be sharing conversations with inspirational people on the topic of climate and the impact it's having here and across the globe. In this first podcast, our Head of Marketing and Engagement, Alison Russell-Stevenson, is joined by environmentalist Sasha Dench. They talk about her early life, the Brown Britain climate challenge she's planning in the run-up to COP, and why she's known as the human swan. So today, Sasha Dench, hello, and thanks so much for taking the time out of your, which I'm sure is a crazy schedule and agreeing to speak to me. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, not at all, not at all. So for those people out there that don't know your name quite yet, um, I hope you don't mind if I indulge myself and do a quick share of what I've found out. But I'm finding freediver, marine biologist, cave diver, environmentalist, explorer, conservationist, stuntwoman, UN ambassador, human dolphin, human swan, adventurer, woman of the year 2017, first woman to win the Britannia Trophy since 1967, Guinness World Record holder, and a world record holder for holding your breath for six minutes, 22 seconds. Have I got that broadly correct? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's broadly correct. I think some things in the media say so the, the world record, that's actually an unofficial world record because I did it in training. Um, wow. I never went ahead with the uh, the official record side of it. Um, but yeah, the other things are um, part of my my history completely incredible I was completely blown away going through it I thought oh my gosh this list is going to take me like a page long to go through so when when's the blue peter badge then Sasha is that next <laughs> I'm working on it excellent keep keep trying for that one that's that's got to be up there with your world record so okay, I guess on that note you know looking at your background and reading everything I've read you are absolutely fascinating and you've had a global upbringing can you tell the listeners and, and everyone a little bit more about that and how it inspired your interest in conservation? Yeah, I so I grew up in uh, in Australia in part of the time in Sydney on the coast, part of the time in a small property um, in the Australian bush um, where we built the house from scratch out of wood, had no power, no electricity, um, uh, except for we had a generator at times. Um, we also had a can toilet. So it was a very much, very, very basic, very much living in the middle of nature where actually the kind of outside and the inside merge. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty well background there. And then part of my other uh, other stages of my upbringing were in the UK. Um, so I lived some of the time in Suffolk. My grandparents had a, a large manor house in Suffolk with a swimming pool uh, where they mowed the lawn in stripes. Um, very, very different <laughs> upbringing to barefoot in the Australian bush. Um, and then some of the time in, in Switzerland. My mum's originally Swiss, so I also lived in Switzerland and went to uh, a Swiss school for, for languages. And um, wow. yeah, so really really quite varied as a youngster so you can throw some languages into the to the pot as well then yep they they do come uh, they do come in very handy when you well later on when I became the human swan and other things so um yeah yeah I'd say pretty I'd say pretty varied and I think so for me a I had parents who were spent a, a lot of time outdoors so my parents were um in into diving um but early childhood memories are so my dad going spearfishing off the coast of Sydney and his idea of looking after me for the day was 
leaving me on the rock pools um, <laughs> to entertain myself. He obviously was spearfishing, so he could come up every now and then and uh, bring me like bring me fish and things to look at. Um, but that's really where I started to get an interest in nature. And then obviously moving out into the Australian bush where we didn't have a lot full stop, except we had vast amounts of nature. And so, yeah, as children, we were allowed to go off camping uh, on our own. And I think the nearest friend to me was a two hour walk away. And because we didn't have phones, I had to walk for two hours to see if she was home or not, and then walk back. If not, and that involved walking across a across a paddock through a kind of forest across a river, um, up a, up and down a couple of hills from there, and so in all that time, you just sort of spend time in nature, and it's obviously the Australian outback, so you see snakes, you see all kinds of things, um, and yeah, I guess I just became very very comfortable in nature like that. So I think uh, not only comfortable in nature, but also confident that I can kind of nature isn't scary at all. It's definitely um, you know part of our our home and I think I probably didn't see it that way at the time but looking back on it that's very much I think where where it all came from yeah no that's that's absolutely incredible I mean a, a, a tour walk to find your friends quite a good one I'm, I'm hoping most of the time she was in or he was in <laughs> <laughs> a long walk for nothing and a tour back again so you mentioned there about you know your affinity with the water as well you know and I know you had a huge success as well as a free diver Again, not a conventional career path. Can you share some highlights from that as well with us? Just so fascinating and interesting. I'm, I, I just don't know which which angle to go for yeah. next, Sasha. Um, so the freediving came about. Well, I see my obviously my my parents did a lot of diving, and as a youngster, my my dad was also surfed quite a lot. But I was never really got interested in surfing. I would put on uh, mask and fins and go and surf underwater or just go off and snorkel. So I was always interested in in being underwater. And as a kid, we had swimming pools in a few places and I just knew that I could hold my breath longer than all my friends playing mermaids. And I knew I could hold my breath long enough to scare people if I really wanted to. Um, and then my dad, um, when he tried to tell me that I um, that free diving was a ridiculous sport to get into when there were more sensible ones, I and I said to him, do you realise that, that you encouraged it by... They used to pay me 50 cents every time when I first did a lap underwater and then 50 cents when I did two laps underwater and then when I did it on my back. And he didn't believe when I told him he had he had encouraged that, he didn't believe me. And I got, had to get my, my stepsister on the phone to say, did dad used to give me 50 That's cents? That's too funny. Yeah, so um, that was definitely uh, in, encouraged then. And um, it wasn't then, though, for years later, I found myself um, actually on Trafalgar Square in London, mm-hmm. um, out the front of St. Martin in the Fields. And I was taking a photo of the square and I stepped back and I knocked a poor guy over and out of his bag spilled a load of photographs of freedivers and he'd just been on a course. And it was like a revelation, like kind of in the middle of saying sorry to him. I um, saw these images and I was like, what is that? And he said, oh, it's freediving. Um, I've just been on a freediving course. And I was like, what do you mean this is a proper sport, like holding your breath and going underwater <laughs> for a long time? Um, because I'm really not very coordinated. I'm not very good at sort of ball sports and things like that. Um, and I, you know, spending under time underwater was, was magical for me. So anyway, that evening, pretty much, I was on the phone to the instructor of the course and saying, um, you know, can you try to figure out what you can do on freediving? And in particular, he did, teaches in Plymouth Harbour. And I dived on the wreck of the James Egan Lane. It was a World War Two ship. There. It certainly is. I'm, I'm, I'm ex-Royal Navy, Sasha. So oh. you, 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 you've got a kindred spirit here when oh. it comes to these things. I, I might have been in the ships, though, and maybe you were under them. But 
Yeah, well, so under the and, and when they're underwater, and um, <laughs> they yeah. So I said to him, you know, can I can I free dive the James Egan Lane? And he said, well, if you can hold your breath for two minutes fifteen, I think he said, then you could probably do it. And I sat there at the table and held my breath for just over three minutes, and um, called him up and said, right, I'm on the next course. And then on the uh, when we did the first course, I held my breath longer than he did in our first attempt. And wow. at that point, he said, well, can you try out for the free diving team? The first trials, I think, were five weeks from there. You know, there's people listening in right now, Sasha, holding their breath to see how long that actually is. <laughs> so if anybody listening later on and practicing three minutes, is an, <laughs> it's a forever. <laughs> uh, really? So I've never, just to, there are a few tricks and I've, I've trained quite a lot of people now and I've never, I've never had any student that I couldn't get to at least four minutes if you know what you're doing. So um, wow. just saying it does make six minutes and 22 seconds put, put slightly more in context that if you know what you're doing. Um, but I definitely have an affinity for it and I have big lungs. So so highlight, yeah. what what would be the one, oh my gosh, if I hadn't done that, I would never have done that moment for the free diving? Oh, the, the, I guess for me, the a big revelation was probably my first world championships was in um, Ibiza. We were hanging mm-hmm. off training lines and bearing in mind my from zero to competing for Britain was so rapid. This was only a matter of weeks. I found myself, so we were on training lines hanging off the... Um, hanging off the side of the ship um, and pulling yourself down to uh, 20 metres and hanging out there and realising that, wow, going from just with that first bit of training, going from, you know, your my vision of what was possible beforehand and with a little bit of training and then what was possible then so being at 20 meters waving at other people who are also down at 20 meters and spending you know three four minutes down there um, and then coming back up again it basically it was a a moment of realizing that your your barriers a lot of them are very much in your in your head and capable of, of much more than we than we think I mean that's purely on a on a physical level um but then I very quickly bored of competition if I'm completely honest and then I just realized the real power was using that skill of being able to dive go underwater without the tanks um using it for to to do things that I thought were important yeah, no, that that that's absolutely incredible. I can I can literally visualize, you know, you're doing that now and it's just it's it's mind blowing, you know, the, the the freeness of the mind, the body, the spirit. I guess that's where the whole inspiration comes from. You know, you listen to your stories and most of it's about no limits. Yeah, you know, no, I guess I know where the limits are and, you know, breaking through them anyway and hitting those barriers and going a little bit yeah. further. Yeah, um, and and exploring particularly, I suppose, where my strengths were. I mean, I'm certainly there's lots of things I'm rubbish at, but <laughs> I just I've just gone for you know explored further the things where I found I had particularly strong talents and that yeah. was one. Yeah, well, we've got to get on to the human swan. You know, again, I, I must have watched everything from your TED Talks, you know, to everything I can find. Uh, totally fascinated on this as well. So I've written a few notes up and tried to sum up in your words, not mine, but why my jaw dropped to the floor. You know, lady scared of flying, flew on a hanky with a big fan tied to her back for 4,000 miles from Russia to central London. <laughs> Any chance you can tell us a bit more about that and why you did it? You know, what what the inspiration was behind it, Sasha? Yeah, that's uh, it's a, it's one of those stories which makes sense in retrospect. But at the time, there was definitely moments where I thought, "What am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking that. Um, so the, the just for context, the fear of flying came from a really I had a really bad flight in Panama where all of us thought we got sucked into a thunderstorm in a tiny sort of two pilot, co-pilot, four seats in the back kind of plane. 
and we were thrown around violently for a long time and we thought this was it for about 40 minutes. We did eventually land, but that left me with a fear of any kind of turbulence in flying. And so actually learning to fly started from to par- with paragliders was purely for me to try and get, get over the kind of irrational fear of any sort of turbulence by learning to understand air because in a paraglider you can really feel everything to do with air. So it was me trying to get the scientific analytical part of my brain override the the one that had this you know this crazy fear um and it wasn't until so I basically just suffered that like really suffered it and did really really short flights um and it took years and then I saw somebody with a paramotor putting a motor on their back and realized Mm -hmm. that you could pretty much go anywhere and you could fly with (laughs) air was still but I was working in conservation where um, putting like landscapes and in particular at the time wetlands into context was so yeah. important I realized that I could pretty much fly anywhere have an airplane in the back of my vehicle <laughs> and get aerial images to um, yeah which really kind of yeah basically made conservation make sense that that will to do that was so powerful that eventually I went and learned I did try three different instructors before I found one that I um that I really trusted who was um ex-military and um, I normally hate being told what to do like to to, to be quiet and just do what I'm told and on this occasion hear you on that subject too. <laughs> on, on this occasion I just said to him like I'm gonna hate you a lot but I think I need that kind of instruction on this case uh, on this uh, occasion and so I, you know, I, you can do a course in four days, but that was certainly not what I would have been enough for me. So I had, I think, two weeks one-on-one of him and I didn't, yeah, basically to, to see whether or not I could get over the fear enough to fly. And yeah, I suppose the rest is history. The first, I didn't fly without somebody else checking me before mm-hmm. and after flying, looking at my takeoffs and landings for probably two years. And then there was an occasion where I really, really needed aerial photography and yeah, did my first flight on my own at dawn, took a series of photos that, um, yeah, put a project on the front of all the national newspapers and changed people's perception of it. And at that point, I was kind of off. The, the fact that the tool was so useful um, that it over overrode all the, mm-hmm. the fears that I had before. And so, yeah, how do I come to be a swan? Um, <laughs> that was... That was, again, me putting two and two together and coming up with 15. And um, we, yeah, it was being surrounded by a load of scientists um, who had been struggling with this problem of a decline of the Buick Swan. Yeah. Um, and as a comm, so my, my, my role is um, com- largely now communications within conservation. And I was asked to help them figure out the how to go with a really big problem, which was between Russia and the UK, there's 11 countries, lots of different issues in different countries, um, a really long journey, the swan declining, we'd lost about half of them, it was a really rapid decline. Um, but the real challenges were how to get all the different industries involved and interest groups that we needed to reach to get help around to try and solve the problems. How do we get them all to be interested and all at the same time where they think that their bit will actually make a difference in the grand scheme of things? So with all of that, I just thought like the really miserable story of lots of dying swans from power lines to being uh, illegally shot to eating lead as kind of getting poisoned from that. All of this is really miserable. Um, Let's start with a story that's way more exciting. And for me, this journey of the swans from the Russian Arctic to the UK, that was totally like mind blowing for most people that they go from the land of polar bear and reindeer breeders 
um, across the biggest, wildest wetlands on the planet to the thick tiger forest. Um, and, you know, they're dodging bullets and all sorts on the way. That's a bit of a James Bond story. And that's the one that I had to start with. And how do I bring that to life? Love and it. yeah, then I realized in the paraglider, I have very, very many of the same challenges as swans do. So that was my tool for bringing it to life. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly completely blown away by it. I mean, I've been watching and as you've said, we're hearing so many horror stories about all the things we're doing wrong and what we have to change, you know, and the, the kind of misery behind it. But actually the positive story, you know, right, rather than climate emergency, we like to talk about climate opportunity. And that's exactly what I'm hearing in here. You know, that inspiration does yeah. make a difference. And I think getting people on board rather than scaring people on board, yeah. huge, huge difference. And I, I just, that you know, that's one of the reasons where we're so keen to speak to you, you know, where, just that positive story of what can make a difference, you know, and the aims and the climate yeah. change that's happening. We're heading towards obviously COP26 up in Glasgow. Um, we're just really keen that the action that we take and that listening to stories like you, that it inspires other people to do their little part going forward. That's, yeah. that's what we're really looking for. And I, I know your next piece, um, you're hoping to get back yeah. in your paramotor um, and navigate around the UK for the Round Britain Climate Challenge. So what exactly is it? What are you planning on doing and kind of what's next for you in that? So I guess one thing I should say is a key learning from my last expedition around motivating people was that whilst the kind of crazy lady trying to be a, a bird was a great <laughs> way of getting people's attention, um, you what really got them thinking was you know telling stories um about you know what else was go what was kind of going on what was like for for the swans the research etc but the thing that made people start going well i could do something was telling stories about other people that had done something and making it obvious that that was making a difference so that's yeah. kind of how we started to get enough people deciding to take action or offering and in some cases saying well why haven't you asked us to help beforehand which was a very good question so I was trying to sort of pull all of those things together um, and obviously on the last expedition as well the climate climate change became very obviously the exacerbating factor in pretty much every issue um, so yeah decided that climate needs to be um, a what should be a, a priority for everybody. Um, we also lost that our family home in the Australian bush, the one I spoke about yeah, earlier. I saw that. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's uh, at the beginning of last year. So, um, so yeah, all of those together um, put, certainly put climate change right up at the top of my agenda, despite being a, an ambassador for migratory species specifically. And then if I'm really going to look at my own personal carbon footprint, I fly a petrol powered paramotor. So obviously we're using wind and thermals a lot of the time, but you're powered by a, by a fuel motor. Yes. Um, what could be possible on these long expeditions using electric? And so in, investigated that and came up with um, a couple of different options, people that could develop a, a paramotor that might be capable of um, at least distances that are, are long enough. So I had that and then I thought, right, what could I do specifically living in Britain now uh, in the run up to COP? Now, I've been to a lot of COPs and MOPs, including 2009, the climate change one in um uh, Denmark was my first and they really don't engage the broad public in a lot of ways and that's what I was really keen to do so I wanted to come up with something that could make the COP but also climate change relevant and local to people and also really inspiring um, 
so yeah, put these all together and decided that um, in the run up to COP, so starting in May, I would attempt to break a world record by flying around the whole coast. Of course, you did. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in an electric in an electric uh, motor, um, and because it's capable of reasonably short flights. That also gives you a fantastic opportunity to stop and talk to a lot of people. And so the whole journey will be stopping and visiting people who can talk about what climate change means locally, what um, forecasts there are, but, but some of the unusual voices or the voices you don't expect. So not necessarily the environmentalists, but they might be entrepreneurs, they might be farmers, they might be water companies about how they're having to plan for the future. But I reckon 80% of the stories are going to be people with climate solutions. So I absolutely love that. So taking that global issue and then putting the local the locals on it, that's yeah. it's incredible. I think that's 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 the way to go. It's relevant for them. It means something to them and then they can make a difference. Yeah. And I, the really nice thing for me is that I've got a team of volunteer researchers who've been out identifying the stories and it's been a, an enlightening, I suppose, thing for them as well. So some of them have come with quite a bit of, you know, angst and anxiety around climate change. But speaking to so many people who've got solutions um, can really change the way that people think about um, climate change, as just as you said, as an opportunity, as much as a as a threat. And that's really what we want to bring to the broad British public through this expedition. So we'll be sharing the entire journey with people through the media, through social media, and also through live um, live chats to schools all the way around. So hopefully we'll manage to change the way that a lot of people see climate change. Yeah, I love that. Involving and inspiring the whole country. You know, if, if everyone's talking about it, we're making a difference. Uh, you, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the challenges we've got at Scottish Enterprise is encouraging businesses to take that practical and meaningful action that we spoke about to reduce mm-hmm. carbon and think differently about the issue. But actually within their role of taking ownership on those solutions, even if it is tiny, um, it'd be really good if you could talk a wee bit about what message you would give to a business leader that's maybe out there listening and simply doesn't know where to start or whether it'll actually make a difference. They don't think they're big enough to make a difference. Any any food for thought on that, Sasha? Well, I mean, obviously it depends very much what the what the business is, but I mean, we'll be yeah. promoting Race to Zero is an, is an obvious one to join. Yeah. Um, also getting, getting the company and staff and others engaged in uh, the Countess In programme. So... That's another one. We'll be trying to break a second world record, which is trying to get the most number of people taking action on climate change. And again, as individuals, it's a you know it's a small difference that we can make. But if you get enough people signing up to look at their own carbon footprint and show that lots of other people are doing it, so it's not an unusual thing. This is just getting on the bandwagon, okay. um, and that's a great that's a great thing as well. Create creating a space um, within the organisation for uh, staff to really explore different ways that your company could take action. Um, we've got plenty of examples of companies where that's actually been a really inspiring thing within a company, as opposed to people seeing it as being something which is you know them being a bit awkward if they've got concerns or they've got ideas. Maybe maybe pushing also within the organisation as as actually looking for ideas for ways that as a company you can tackle your carbon footprint is a good idea, and even the small amounts even small differences do really add up to um, to make a difference. And if you really want, I suppose, some inspiration, we we started um, doing, uh, well, we had our first round table uh, for corporates 
around this project and around Counter Sin. And we mixed into the event, you know, people with a reasonably high profile like Tim Smith, the Eden Project, etc. And people with a much more kind of grounded experience from a teacher that's trying to teach climate change to schools, but is mostly given materials about polar bears and stuff. (laughs) Brilliant, yeah. So we we mix people with very different experiences and also um, the internal experiences of people within companies who've really stuck their head above the parapet and used their company's buying and bargaining power to change an industry. Um, So there was quite a broad range of different stories rather than hearing just from, you know, very high level, which often a lot of the kind of climate events have been. Um, And we found a load of people found that really inspiring. And we created a space for people to say, you know, we're not perfect, um, but we're doing something. And I suppose that has been a, a learning that I have found is that there's this fear of greenwashing is stopping a lot of people from even starting. And I really, really, really want to tackle that. So, you know, we're obviously, from me personally, I'm trying to fly all around the coast of Britain in an electric paramotor using electric vehicles. Um, but I'm not holding them now because we can't record it without a second paramotor. And there is no second electric paramotor. It is a fuel it is powered by fuel. So we're just being open about that. We Absolutely. will that where we can. Um, and so I just think the the kind of discussion has to move a bit away from um, here we are kind of company X who's just doing amazing things and making this great announcement about being perfect. The main thing should be about, you know, putting yourself out there as having a go and being open about the challenges you're facing, letting your staff and even others come up with solutions for it. But again, facing it um, openly and um, yeah, with, with ambition and with a, with a feeling of opportunity and um, uh, excitement, I suppose, as opposed to sort of fear about, you know, not being perfect. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love the idea of, you know, being ambitious about it rather than, you know, your ambition could be to go small, but you're still doing it and you're still starting, you know, you're taking ownership. Um, Love that. Love that. So everyone can make a difference. But be open, be fair. And I guess talk about the good and the bad, you know, don't don't hide anything away. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think the the challenges that you're facing, um, there'll be people out there that might be excited about it. So on this journey around Britain, while we're stopping and talking to different companies that have got ideas, we're also going to be asking them about the challenge that they face in the hope that other people go, well, we've had that problem, but we solved it with X or ah, that's, that's an exciting challenge. Um, we think we know people that might be up for solving that. So, yeah, for me, it's all about just kind of dropping the kind of inhibitions, I suppose, around around carbon now and um, be, being open about it is, is critical. Yeah, no, that's great. And I know you're also, well, I think, I think you're also looking for conservation projects, corporate sustainability initiatives and some startups. Yeah, so the three categories that we're, of stories that we're working to are um, industry and innovation, uh, home and community and nature and farming. That's broadly how we've, we've grouped the different stories. So yeah, we're looking for people to, um, get in touch and let us know if they've got an interesting story to tell. Similarly, if they've got a challenge that they would like to put out there. Um, And so, yeah, within the ground crew, we'll cover stories in the day, but we'll be camping every night and around the kind of campsite. um, People will be able to join us as distance as we may have to be um, in the current scenario. Um, That's around the campfire version of um, conversations with different people. And yeah, that will also involve some lives. So, um, lots of opportunities for people to to really 
um, get behind the scenes and and talk about these things openly. I absolutely love that. So I, I'm I'm going to guess here because obviously having been I'm I'm now an Uber fan and having looked at everything I humanly can. So you've got no doubt on your phone again being cheeky here, but I take it Sir David Attenborough, Joanna Lumley, Ralph Fiennes are on speed <laughs> dial. Anyone else? Anyone else I need to be jealous about that you can you can hit on speed dial. Um, to be honest, they are celebrities. I'm much more excited. I'm, I'm much more excited about uh, about some of the people that I'm going to meet who've got really good ideas. And to be honest, Joanna Lumley would say the same thing. Um, so Joanna Lumley is joining us at the start and the end of a few places Brilliant. today with lots of encouragement. I mean, I haven't had any other person has been more um, more enthusiastic from her picking up the phone to her saying, hello, it's Joanna Lumley here. I'd like to make a donation. I think this is such a fantastic idea. We should all be doing more. Um, I would I find my, my voice was quivering going, <laughs> um, but it just shows you, I mean, she's keen to come and join us at certain points. I mean, apart from the fact that I'm sure the team will be a bit like uh, a bit starstruck, um, because she also genuinely wants to come and meet a lot of the people. I think that's the difference. I think you're right. I think that genuineness of wanting to make a difference comes across in spades through both of you. You know, it comes across in spades. Um, when you hear anything or see anything that your guys are working on, uh, I j- just blew me away reading reading what you guys are really trying to do. Um, I know I know we broadly talked about COP coming to Scotland. Um, what's impressed you most, I guess, about Scotland's attitude to tackling climate change, and have you seen any differences in the last wee while on that? I'm probably not in a position to to see the differences over time. I mean, from the from weeks now or now months of, of research, I, I guess the key thing for me is that we've had to decide while we're starting in Glasgow, we had to decide whether we were going to go, uh, that's that's closest to the West Coast, we had to decide whether we we're going to go anti-clockwise or clockwise. And we've opted <laughs> to go anti-clockwise, mostly because if we did Scotland first, well, most of Scotland first, um, we might be, we might kind of cover the the best and the most interesting stuff first. So we're going anti-clockwise, largely because we want to save kind of Scotland for the highlight at the end. There's just so many stories, so many people who um, moved me with their enthusiasm and their, and their story that we we just have to leave that to the end. We like a good chat and a good story, so no doubt that will be the best fits. We, we, we like a blether. Have you had that word yet coming up and speaking to us? That's, what was it? That's a chat, a blether. That's a chat. That means we, just, we just like to blether to everybody. We like we like a good chat and a good conversation. Well, I'm looking forward to blethering. After a long day kind of in the air, that would be a, a perfect end. <laughs> So I know I know you might not be there um, in person or you may or may not be there in person, but what's your hopes and aspirations for this COP? I really hope that companies see the importance of their role, I suppose, in in all of it, in the the global story at the moment, that it's more than you know, it's it's more than a few nice initiatives you can, and particularly if you're the larger corporations, that the whole of the world, the next generations are really looking on you to take the stewardship of the world's resources really seriously. And I know that sounds kind of heavy, but I guess that's what um the the element that I'm really trying to bring to the the cops on you know climate, on desertification, on biodiversity loss, all of those things, they're all very connected. Um, our international journeys are all around bringing the story of what's going on in the real world 
and voices of people from around the world um, who are experiencing climate change in a different way into those big formal meeting rooms. So it's very easy in a large, um, within the kind of meeting rooms to, you know, you're talking about wording, you're talking about the detail at that stage. I just hope that people constantly keep in mind what the real world picture is and the, the really important implications of all the decisions they're they're making yeah. and you know at the within the formal negotiations etc lots of those decisions will have already happened we will be talking about about the details um but yes i'm hoping there will be lots of global corporations there who will be inspired by it and decide to really pick up the um take up the mantle is that the expression yeah it absolutely and, um, is. and really help us drive it forward because we really do have about 10 years and that's it to completely shift um, our our economy to to a more sustainable one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm 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 hoping as well. You know, they're just going to take those hopes and aspirations and turn it into an action plan. You know, yeah. an immediate action plan that that you know worlds are signed up to, which is it, it's a pretty incredible chance. Yeah. You know, and a, a place to be. You know, you're on the super stage there. Yeah. That, you know, so you're absolutely right. And so, and to collaborate with each other because yeah, we're going to get yeah. solutions far far faster if um, <laughs> if industries are all collaborating. So yeah, that is the perfect opportunity for those conversations to happen. Yeah, that's no, great. Thank you. So a, a couple of final questions, if I may. So it's clearly in your DNA to be adventurous and strive to be your best. So I'm going off piste here, but please tell me it's true. There's a link to Dame Judy Dench in your DNA history journey as well, <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> There is there is a link to uh, to Dame Judy, but I didn't realise it until the last expedition when our um, we had already Ranulph Fines and David Attenborough as patrons, and we were trying to use that to help get permissions for the Russian crossing. And our fixer called up and said that the Russians don't really know who those people are, but they love James Bond. And I noticed that your last name is Dench. Is there any chance that you're related? And I was like, well, I don't know. And um, one of our relatives research and said well yes it's a bit tenuous um my great great grandfather is her great grandfather who's a customs officer from Weymouth but I'm from this <laughs> legitimate wife who's a Bessie from Battersea um and thankfully Dame Judy has a sense of humor and she agreed that that was hilarious and how could she possibly say no and um within a matter of weeks from then we had a response from the Russian FSB saying we'd have permission to fly across the uh their their border regions um so yeah there is a there is a connection that is the best story ever i was not expecting all of that that's phenomenal so so are you up for the next lady bond then what do you think oh, I next wish. journey i wish i wish if someone can put a word in for me that'd be great we can have one with a climate emphasis we've not had that yet yeah. i think that might work sasha to be honest i'll work on it so, Sasha, if you're not going to be the, the next 007, what's your future flighty adventure? Um, what, what, what's next? Oh, don't crash those dreams already. Uh, <laughs> now that you've got my hopes up. Uh, the, so the next one is, um, it's uh, again, involves Scotland. It has Scotland at the heart of it. So the next journey is connecting this COP and the next one, which will be in Africa. Um, but it's also the journey of the osprey. So the osprey migrating all the way from um, Scotland down into to West Africa. And whilst that'll be a journey through the eyes of migratory species, looking at what we might need to do, what the threats are along the way, 
I am 99% certain that we'll find climate change is um, is the exacerbating factor again in many of the issues. Um, so yeah, it'll be telling a, another journey, but uh, I suppose a global one, connecting very different people, very different cultures across across a flyway. Um, and it'll also be an interesting journey into how we use resources and just how many of the things we might be using within Europe have actually come from West Africa and the the interconnectedness that is, you know, way more, way more than we might ordinarily think. So, yes, the journey of the Osprey. Wow. That's that's much more exciting than 007, to be honest, Sasha. I think you should continue yeah. with the plans you have and maybe have 007 as your backup. I, I think I agree. But if 007 wants to come for a flight, <laughs> we'll be put fine. A call in anyway. We'll, put, we'll, we'll definitely put that call in. So if anyone's listening out there that wants to do that introduction, Sasha's definitely got a space. Thanks. Maybe 2022, but she's she's got a space out there. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I genuinely appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I mean, this is this is what we're we're all about. So um, yeah, fingers. Uh, Fingers crossed that the COP is as exciting and inspiring as we all hope it, it, it will be. I'm sure it will be. And genuinely, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Get involved with the climate conversation on Twitter at Scott End. And join us next time on the Think Podcast.